you to Gaia House um, and to this weekend. Some very familiar faces here, and I would say welcome back. And I'm also aware that uh, quite a number of you are new to Gaia House, and even more so, quite a number of you are new to retreats. And I am aware that it can all feel a little strange coming here for the first time. And if it's your first retreat, it can all feel a little bit daunting even. So I would really encourage you, those of you who are new, to relax, to be at ease. Starting this evening, this weekend retreat can seem like a long time. I can promise you it's over before you even hardly know it began. But at the same time, it's, it's a very precious time. A weekend can be a very precious time. A time to stop, a time to reconnect, and hopefully a time to learn something about ourselves, about how we are. I'd like to introduce Paul, who will be helping me out this weekend in a number of different ways. And this weekend, I'd like to focus as much as we're able to upon the theme of gladdening the mind, gladdening the heart. And I think it is a way of really almost connecting with that theme as we begin this evening. I think part of that is a sense of appreciation. It's quite a wonderful thing to be able to stop for a while in our lives. It's quite a rare and a blessed and a precious thing to have this, this privilege, even this luxury, of being able to take the time to be supported, to be cared for, and to have the time then to listen inwardly. And sometimes to remember things, some of the things that are too important to forget. The blessings of silence, the blessings of having a collected mind, the blessings of being able to attend to the life of our heart, our mind. So I think as we begin this evening, we're probably all aware that there is much that can torment us in this life. Adversities that we meet, pain, illness, difficult people, difficult situations, our life crumbling at times when we feel least prepared for it. But we're probably also aware that there's little in life that can torment us quite as much as our own mind can. 
with our hearts, our minds, capacities, and even tendencies for obsession, at times to flounder in confusion and uncertainty, to be lost in reactions we feel ill at ease with. Some of the stories that endlessly loop around in seemingly eternal cycles that can torment us so much. The fear, at times the anger, the discontent of our own hearts. There is also much in life that can bring tremendous happiness and joy. Wonderful sights, sounds, having a well body, wonderful people, situations that delight us. But I think it's also true that there is little in life that can actually bring us so much happiness and joy as the happiness and joy that is born of a clear and a peaceful mind and heart. There's little that can bring so much happiness as the happiness that emerges from calmness, from contentment, from ease, from the kindness and spaciousness that we can discover within ourselves. And this is the mind and the heart, this mind and heart of gladness, of spaciousness, that we truly endeavor to cultivate in this practice, in this path, And this mind of gladness, this heart of gladness, is also one of the direct fruits, one of the direct outcomes of this practice and path. To discover and rely upon a heart, a mind that can be a refuge that is trustworthy. Now this, actually, this mind, this mind I'm talking about, this mind, this heart of collectedness and spaciousness and joy, it is the mind that is possible for all of us. It's not something that's just reserved for a kind of spiritual elite or, you know, very few special people. This is the mind, the heart, that is possible for all of us. A heart of mind that is born of wise mindfulness, born of understanding. The cultivation of a mind, the cultivation of a heart of gladness and clarity is something that is placed very much in the center of this teaching and this practice of mindfulness. And it is placed in the center of this teaching and practice simply for obvious reasons. Because this mind, this heart that we live with every day, every moment of our lives, of course, is also at the center of our life. At the center of how we act, how we relate, how we engage, how we respond to the world around us. In the Dhammapada, one of the lovely teachings in this tradition, The Buddha said, the mind, and understand in this teaching, mind and heart are two words that are used interchangeably. 
He said that the mind is the forerunner of all things. All experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind. Speak or act with an unclear mind and suffering will follow, just as the wagon wheel follows the ox. All experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind. Speak or act with a clear and peaceful mind, and happiness follows, like a never-departing shadow. And the Buddha went on to say that this is the path of happiness that leads to the highest happiness, and that the highest happiness is peace. A mind, a heart that is at peace with itself, at peace with all things. Now, in Pali, which is the language in which the early teachings were spoken, the word for meditation is bhavana. It means to cultivate or to bring into being. And what we are cultivating in this practice and path is what one teacher has called a mind that is beautiful. A mind that is lovely. Now, since many people, especially those who know a little bit about this tradition, many people kind of equate this teaching and tradition with us all about suffering. You know, like you hear it endlessly in Buddhist teaching, dukkha, 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 you know, suffering, suffering, suffering. And many people think, you know, well, that's what this teaching is all about, suffering. Now, one level, of course, a lot is, sp- is spoken about and explored in terms of what, what is suffering, what is struggle. But, of course, see, that's only one half of the teaching, and the other half of the teaching is the end of suffering and the end of struggle. But sometimes people can approach this practice and this teaching with a kind of grimness or feeling of, you know, I've just got to endure. I've I've got to go through this, you know. I have to kind of toil and slog and, you know, sit it out until something magically happens. But I think one of the most important things to remember in meditation practice is the kind of very pivotal role that our attitude plays. And how much, in truth, the attitude that is really encouraged in this practice is an attitude of kindness, an attitude of care. In fact, some of you who have had some experience in the practice before may think of loving kindness, for example, as just being a particular technique. But in truth, the Buddha spoke about kindness or loving kindness as being the underlying attitude which, which pervades the whole of meditation practice. And, and in a very real way, it is that attitude of kindness which is really the first step in gladdening the heart. Because it's that attitude of kindness brought into the practice which then turns this practice into a practice of befriending 
befriending what is, befriending our bodies, befriending our minds, befriending our hearts. And actually, for, for many people in, in, in this practice, learning or relearning this attitude of kindness is actually one of the hardest and yet the most impo- important lessons that they are asked to learn. And I think, you know, for so many people, the inner critic, the inner judge, the comparing, the evaluating, the demanding, the insisting are such kind of familiar voices in their hearts and lives that it's almost no longer appreciated the extent to which all of that suffocates gladness. So this attitude of befriending, the attitude of kindness, is in a way a path all in itself. Now bhavana, to cultivate, to bring into being. And the question is, what is it that we are cultivating? I mean, in truth, in our lives, we are cultivating something in every moment either consciously or unconsciously. Sometimes we're cultivating the habits of a lifetime. Sometimes the habits are not always so helpful to us. Meditation practice is a conscious cultivation of all that is healing, all that is freeing, and all that is liberating. We learn to cultivate compassion, equanimity, We cultivate kindness, spaciousness, serenity. We cultivate, in truth, moment to moment, a heart and a mind of gladness. Now the Buddha once said that just as the great oceans have but one taste, which is the taste of salt, he said this teaching and this path also has just one taste, and it is the taste of freedom. Now when we take a moment to be still, and we really meet what feels like the intensity of confusion or dullness or the chaotic mind, this taste of freedom can feel something that is very far away. But what is important to remember is is the way in which this is really a practice of immediacy. It is a practice of the moment. And the size of the task is, in truth, only equal to the size of the moment. We learn to bring into being all that is lovely. We learn to bring generosity, to cultivate generosity, In the midst of aversion or judgment, we learn to cultivate kindness. In the midst of blame or resentment, we learn to cultivate mindfulness. In the midst of habit or reactivity, we learn to cultivate a heart, a mind of gladness. Now, I feel like it's quite important to make something of a distinction or discernment between gladness in the way I'm speaking about it and happiness. 
because I don't think they're exactly the same thing. I think as human beings, we will not always be happy. None of us are or none of us can ever be entirely in control of or able to choose the, the events and the conditions of the moment that have an impact upon our lives and hearts. I'm sure none of us, you know, can you imagine a person in this world who has only eternal good health, who has only lovely thoughts and uplifting emotions. You know, can you imagine a person in this world who is eternally surrounded by fantastic and loving people, who has the perfect job and the perfect relationship? I don't think anyone in the history of humanity has ever been this person. And I feel pretty certain that none of us are going to be the first. I mean, in this life, we will experience times of loss, times of illness and pain. We will meet difficult people and difficult situations. We will at times grieve. We will not always be happy. But we can, in the midst of all of this, really learn to get a sense of what it means to have a spacious heart, a serene mind, a clear heart and mind. We can, in the midst of all of this, learn to find that willingness to meet our life with a heart of some gladness. Now, in my understanding, a very big piece of the gladdened mind or the gladdened heart is really the the willingness to stop arguing with the way things are. In fact, this is a tremendous relief. (laughs) We can spend so much time in our life just arguing with the way things are. You know, this shouldn't be like this. I shouldn't be like this. You know, it should be different. Life should be different. I should be different. You should be different. Everything should be different than it is. And it creates such a sense of struggle and contention. Now, the opposite of of arguing with the way things are is not passivity. And it's not a kind of like apathy. But it is the willingness to actually meet the moment as it is and to learn what it means to have a heart that is ungoverned. Now the fact that we cannot control all the conditions in our lives or all of the events in our lives does not mean that we're helpless. It does not mean that we're powerless. Because we can find within ourselves the awareness and the wisdom and the clarity that allows us to meet those events with balance, without being overwhelmed or governed. You know, one of the the repeated lines, the repeated encouragements in the teaching of insight meditation from the Buddha is to learn to abide independent, 
not clinging to anything, not governed by anything. I was really talking about there is really this mind, this heart that can meet life with all its changing conditions, with an inner unshakability and steadfastness and ease. That is the mind of gladness. I really learned, I really came across this in a very real way in the early, early days of my teach, in my own practice. In fact, it was one of the things that really started my own practice. It was when I, I found myself in India in a Tibetan community of refugees, a, a group of people who hadn't really been very long out of Tibet. And many of you know how desperately poor India is. And to be a refugee in India is really poor. And I was so astonished to arrive in this refugee village where I'd sort of expected to find, you know, all this terrible kind of anguish and, and um, rage. And instead, to, to meet this group of people who seemed to be living with such kind of composure and collectedness and in truth, a genuine sense of radiance, despite the conditions of their life, despite the losses, the heartache, to still have that inner poise. And when I saw this, you know, I was so struck by it. I really thought, now, somebody knows something here that I don't know. <laughs> somebody really understands something here so precious that I don't know in this moment. And that for me was actually really when I began to practice, to really understood, understand what that can be. What it can be to find that heart, that mind that can be so collected and in a way unshakable in the midst of changing conditions a heart intact, in a way, a heart of gladness. When we look at a lot, I think, of the discontent and the struggle in our life, a lot of it, so much of it is born of striving to be someone we're not, striving to have something we don't have, striving to be somewhere where we are not. Hmm? If we look at that, the tension that comes with that, the tension of that striving to be someone, to have someone, have something to be somewhere we are not, how that leads us to kind of turn towards the moment we're in with a kind of disdain and rejection and dismissal. It says, this is not good enough. This is not what I can make peace with. And what we're really doing in all that striving, of course, is in a way really suffocating gladness. We're almost kind of like poisoning, poisoning our own sense of well-being. And when you really understand what mindfulness practice is and what insight meditation is, it's really actually learning to let go of this very optional struggle and suffering. Doesn't mean to let go of aspiration, doesn't mean to let go of, of direction, but to let go of this struggle and suffering that is so born of the rejection of what is.
because it is the embracing of what is that actually we can discover gladness. To be at ease in the midst of all conditions, to cultivate all that is lovely in the midst of all conditions. So I'd like to spend just a little bit of time, if I may, talking about the kind of the the sort of structure, the container, the outline of a retreat. Um, First of all, I think what's really important this evening is just to begin to slow down. I mean, most of us know that for the most important beginning steps in us in practice is just to calm down. It's really just to calm down. You know, and I know many of you will have traveled today and you will have come from work today, you will have come from busyness today. And of course, we're in the midst of this sort of hysterical time in our culture. Um, and just, just to let it go. Just for a weekend, really, just to offer yourself this space to be still, this space to calm down and to reclaim Reclaim that capacity for gladness. Now, Paul is just going to speak just a few minutes just about the, some of the guidelines of a retreat. Do you just want a, this? Can you, if I speak like this, is that okay at the back? Yeah. Okay. So just to welcome everybody to begin with as well from my side. It's, it's an honor to be here with you and... Um, I'm going to just spend five minutes talking briefly about something which I imagine would have been mentioned in the manager's opening talk, which is the precepts or um, the ethical guidelines which everybody is asked to enter into in the retreat environment like this. And I guess in, in the Dharma traditions the ethical guidelines and the ethical precepts or the ethical training guidelines they're sometimes called are a big part of people's lives on and off retreat Um, and so I'm going to speak just briefly about them in the context of being in this retreat environment and I guess when I was thinking earlier how can I talk about these things briefly the most obvious thing that came to mind was how they are here to support an environment of non-harming between all of us here. A a lot of people who've never met each other coming to a place, doing something quite possibly for the first time, a very unusual situation. And I think these precepts just help us to relax and to trust. Trust into ourselves, trust being in a group, Trust being in a strange situation which may be unfamiliar to us, more or less. And so this is also an invitation to try and feel into trusting how, how we're held here in this peaceful, quiet, nourishing, usually warm place. <laughs> so the first precept is often called... Um, in the negative, termed in the negative, to refrain from harm and to refrain from killing other beings. Um, which 
obviously includes other people in the retreat and um, you know insects things like this I mean these are these are things that I'm just it's an invitation to explore these things you know obviously the most important part of this one I think to me is, is the, the spirit of the non-harming um, the positive expression of which is compassion basically and the other the other four training guidelines or mindfulness trainings flow from this one very much traditionally the second precept is um, I think the order goes is to refrain from taking that which isn't freely offered so not not taking stuff which isn't clearly um, given to us individually so you know we take the food that's been offered to us and rather than saying oh that's a nice blanket I think I prefer the colour of that one I'll take that one see if no one notices you know just to the precepts there to bring awareness in to, to question where am I coming from if I see something which I like but it's not clear whether it's been offered freely or not so it's kind of a not stealing is one way of saying it the, the positive expression of which is is generosity and offering things to other people and um, and then the third one traditionally is to refrain from sensual or sexual misconduct so this, include, including the realm of sexuality, it also encompasses the sensual sphere. And as a real invitation to see how we're affected by a mind that's always reaching out for stimulation, and whether that's provided by TV and um, books or other people or... Um, any anywhere we can get a sensual fix. So in the context of the retreat it's for to be celibate and to give everybody the the gift of not having those games going on while we're here. You know, giving everybody the peace and the space from those concerns which can be so much just a normal habitual part of day to day life outside of the retreat environment. I was thinking the positive expression of this one rather than, you know, there's, there's the refraining from, say, sexual misconduct or is a classical way of talking about it. it. You can also think of it as practicing contentment with what you already have, practicing contentment rather than needing to find something to feel happy, some other, <coughs> something external from ourselves. So it has that kind of renunciate um, contentment expression the fourth is to refrain from false speech so here that's quite easy because we're um, we're not talking to each other so that's quite um, it's kind of easy in a way but if your mind's anything like mine then a lot of talking happens in your minds on the retreat and so there's also kind of um well, one way that I relate to this one is noticing the tone of my the voice that's talking in my mind. Whether it's talking about somebody else who's just walked in front of me or those kind of um, voices which run in the mind. You could take it to that level as well, I imagine. Um, and mobile phones. Like, if you're texting or if you're talking to somebody on the mobile phone or something, that sort of 
to me that would flash up that precept, that that mindfulness training. You know, do I really need to send that text, or can I turn my phone? You know, is my phone actually turned off? And to really kind of um, savor the silence, savor the opportunity to not have to <coughs> to talk to people. We can still be with people, there's still intimacy, and there's still connection and communication, but we're you know we're not talking. And the fifth precept is often one which is spoken about, which um, contributes to the looking after the other ones, which is refraining from intoxicants. So obviously there's no drink here or anything, and there's there's tea. That's about as that's about as much as it gets. A cup of tea. So I don't think there's even coffee out there. Um, so it's to, again inviting us to look at how we to come into relationship with with things which um, intoxicate us one way or another and stimulate us or calm us down and to see that realm of how yeah to come into relationship with things like coffee and alcohol and drugs and um, obviously medication you have, you have to have that's not that's not what it's talking about. Um, so yeah, just to. Sort just to inspire um, an exploration into kindness and non-harming by these with these structures. For me, it's a really useful structure which I'm finding more. I'm becoming more and more passionate about exploring these areas in life. Which it's not like oh, I know that one now. I've done that. It's just something that they keep coming up again and again and again. And each time something comes up, like there's a question come into relationship with a precept issue or a precept object or whatever um, or a situation arises where a precept a little light comes on and says this is mentioned in the teachings and then to, to explore and inquire where I'm coming from in regard to those areas so thank you for your ears and um and I just want to again uh, pick up on this theme of contentment, you know, because I think a retreat is often about learning or relearning the art of contentment. You know, you can see this as a pretty simple place. I mean, you know, we don't have cabarets, movies. Uh, you know, as far as entertainment goes this is as good as it gets you know but it's so it's so easy for the mind to enact this terrible sense of discontent even here you know and and somebody somebody recently said to me once they they said they came on retreat here and they they found themselves meeting this incredibly restless mind that they realized was, you know, really a big part of their lives. And so they were doing things that very restless minds do. And one of the things they were doing was reading the instructions on the fire extinguisher, which, you know, you're pretty hard up when you, <laughs> when you go to read the instructions on a fire extinguisher. But they said the first, they read for a little while, and then they came across this instruction that said, Aim the nozzle at the base of the fire. And they thought that this was the most apt 
apt instruction for their practice is to aim the nozzle at the base of the fire, to learn to kind of calm the discontent, to calm the restlessness, not to say that it's bad or that it's wrong. You know, we live in a very restless world. We live in a very agitated world. And sometimes it's really not until we stop that we really get a sense of how much that's in our bodies and in our minds. And so, of course, when that restlessness agitation is there a lot, everything feels complex. Simplify here. You know, simplify in everything. It's not to just attend to what is right here, right in front of us. And to somehow just really calm, calm the agitation, calm the restlessness. Now there's ways that I'd like to keep encouraging or inclining the practice over the weekend towards this this understanding of gladness. And I would really invite you to approach this not as something you're supposed to have or that you're a terrible failure if you don't have. But like all things in this practice, to approach this quality of gladness as an investigation. As an investigation. Something we're just really kind of exploring, not just intellectually, but also kind of emotionally through how we are present in the moment. And throughout the weekend, there's a number of ways I'm going to sort of keep nagging at you about gladness, <laughs> but hopefully keep encouraging you to really undertake that investigation, to keep looking at it. What in this moment is truly lacking? That that is, I think, is a really good place to start. You know, it's, it's a wonderful Zen koan. What in this moment is truly lacking? A part of us could probably make a long list. We could make a long list of all the things we would like to have and don't have. The places we'd like to be, or who, who we'd like to be and are not. But then just to come back to that question, what in this moment is truly lacking? For me, it's very much a question that really really almost kind of speaks to the heart of this practice. Because I think if we can get a sort of felt sense of that question, what in this moment is truly lacking? We actually probably appreciate that we have everything in this moment that we need for sensitivity, for compassion, for connectedness, for aliveness, for clarity, for loving kindness. We actually have everything that we need in this moment for all of that. But you can see how the mind keeps getting drawn into that sense, oh, no, 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 I need more of this, less of that. (laughs) You know, closer to that, further away from this. Can't just come back to that koan, just sit with it. What in this moment is truly lacking? And that's kind of where I'd like to start this evening. 
Now we're going to uh, end the evening with a short sitting meditation. Um, but before we do that, you might want to take just a couple of minutes to stand up, stretch your body. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.